This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong in following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast, post-week 11, pre-week 12, into the trenches of the NFL season here, and lots to talk about today, a great, fun, special guest, Jeff Schwartz, who I think everyone will enjoy, and some good, fun topics today. We'll talk about uh, new schedule proposals, uh, game time decision a little bit, and we'll even go over a college quarterback, talk about Tua, since he's about to enter the NFL. But in the meantime, let's bring in our producer, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the show, Greg. Dr. Chow, I think I'm doing a little bit better right now than Tua. I do not have a fractured hip, so I'm feeling good about that. Tua looked pretty happy. I don't know if you saw the video. I did see that video. It was good to see him in good spirits, but man, that is that was just rough to see. No question. And uh, since you're leading off with Tua there, we'll talk about it. That, that video of him essentially dancing in bed. First of all, a lot of people said, how can he do that? He's high on drugs or something because uh, of the hip. There's no question a hip dislocation is extremely, all the letters in that word capitalized, painful. But once it's reduced, the vast majority of the pain goes away. It's amazing. And I don't think he was drugged up, uh, as some people suggest. I think he's just got a good soul and a good spirit and, and good on him. And believe it or not, once the hip is in place, it doesn't hurt that much. It's not a small surgery now to to get down there deep to put in screws. And that's to keep the stability, not keeping the stability when he's in bed, but keeping the stability when he's running, jumping, and getting tackled and playing football. And that's why the surgery. The other thing is that obviously wasn't this Monday morning right before surgery. Because if you look closely, it looks like... He's got a McFlurry in his right hand. You can see the top edge of a carton, a, a large uh, McDonald's French fries in his lap. <laughs> no food or drink uh, the morning of surgery there. Any case, um, hopefully the surgery solves the second step for Tua. Pretty obvious by video. Greg, I was actually at Costco with the kids and uh, my phone was blowing up. And so I look at video on my phone and on Twitter and look, that was pretty easy to, to quote diagnose, not diagnose because I'm not examining him, but to say that he had a dislocated hip. The one thing I can say about a dislocated hip, and I've dealt with three of them acutely, an NFL player, an X Games athlete, and a high-level rugby player. I used to cover all those sports in person. If you think the player or the athlete might have a hip dislocation, he or she doesn't. It is incredibly obvious, and it was very obvious to me on video, and even when he got on the cart, you could see the left knee and the right knee were in different positions. The right knee was a lot shorter because the whole femur was pushed out the back. You know, honestly, I'm amazed at uh, at Tua that they were able to get him up off the ground and help him onto the cart. And usually that's a stretcher or spine board situation. And even the way he was on the cart, he wasn't comfortable. The the trainer had to be his backstop, right? So he could stay comfortable. That was uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And the first step is to put the hip back in place, which was done at the stadium. The next step is to keep the hip stable, which is the surgery. The third step is to avoid avascular necrosis, which is loss of blood supply to the area. Look, uh, if there's uh, only uh, one bridge onto an island and the bridge goes out, the, the town can't possibly flourish. If there's, uh, with the humeral, the femoral head, it's so surrounded by articular cartilage and it's well placed in there in the ball and socket joint, the blood flow has to come up the neck of the femur in one direction, kind of like a one-way street or a bridge onto an island. And if that road, highway, or bridge gets knocked out, 
the blood flow gets knocked out too and all the nutrients and supplies to the femoral head are gone and it dies out like a town would die out if the bridge the single bridge to the little island collapsed that's avascular necrosis and that's what ended bo jackson's career not the fracture dislocation itself the resultant avn so that's his third hurdle his fourth hurdle is to avoid post-traumatic arthritis the bottom line is is his career over no is his career threatened yes is his draft stock affected 100 percent does it mean he won't be a first round pick no, not necessarily. We have to see how it sorts out. But this definitely affects the, his trajectory in the NFL in his career. And the other thing is, no matter how long it takes, and I've seen some people say out there, Greg, he's a junior. He could come back and play for Alabama again and then go into the next draft. I don't see that happening, period, end of discussion. Partly because he is draft eligible. Partly because... He's still going to be good enough to be drafted, partly because why play another year for free, especially, and risk injury again, especially when there are probably a limited number of miles on that hip. Let's say he makes a great, complete, and full recovery and gets through steps one, two, and three. There's still the risk of post-traumatic arthritis that increases over time. So do you want to burn a year in college as opposed to a year in the NFL. And if it's prolonged rehab, I think there's teams that would draft him and put him on a rehab program for a, a, a year and a, and a redshirt year. Unfortunately, I think it is his last play for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but I don't think it's necessarily the end of his football career. Any other thoughts or questions on Tua there, Greg? A lot of people, they're saying that this is similar Bo De- Jackson, but I feel like things have come a long way in the what, 25, 30 years since Bo Jackson dislocated his hip, obviously still going to be an incredibly challenging injury to come back from, but also being a quarterback helps him out because he doesn't have to do quite as much as a running back does with regards to running, even though he is a bit bit of a mobile guy. No question. Uh, There's a couple points, and, and thanks for bringing it up. The first point is, has medicine changed since, I think it was at 91, and now it's 19, something like that, almost 30 years? Yes, but what hasn't changed is Bo Jackson's human and Tua's human, and they're built the same way. And that femoral head and its blood supply is precious. It's still that one main road into town, that one main bridge, or that one area of the lawn that only one sprinkler head covers. That doesn't change, and that won't change in another 300 years. That's still a risk despite everything else. Uh, but it's definitely, quote, better that he's a quarterback. Now, no question he's an incredible runner. But here's the situation. I had a guy in the NFL, and I won't say who, who dislocated his hip. And uh, we did reduce it on the sidelines. So we put it right back in. He got tackled and fall, fell onto the sidelines. So right where he was on the field, we never moved him. We relocated his hip with great relief right there and we got him off the field and this was in the preseason and he returned to play uh, about middle of the year caught a touchdown was effective to some extent as a wide receiver and this is a not a knock on the player he was a good player heck he, he was in the nfl but he wasn't an elite nfl wide receiver before he was injured he was a smaller nfl wide receiver doing it with speed and quickness And so let's say he loses 5% or 10% or half a step or a quarter step. He doesn't have the extra residual. Tua is such a superior athlete that if he's a half step slower than he is right now, he's still better than 90% of the NFL, right? I mean, in terms of what he can do, maybe not uh, Lamar, maybe not Deshaun, but pretty much everybody else. So Because he's a superior player, he has a better chance to come back. Not to mention the fact that he's the option of staying in the pocket, et cetera, and and throwing. So I don't think this is necessarily the end of his career, but it does affect his career trajectory, at least right now. Moving on to our next big topic. Greg, we've talked quite a bit before about my thoughts longstanding about a second bye week 
and a 18-week regular season. To sum it up quickly for some of the listeners that haven't heard, I've said for a number of years, let's add a second bye week, make it the same 16 games across 18 weeks, take away one preseason game so the season is the same length, pair up Thursday night games with teams coming off the bye. So you have a bye early season and later season. This way, what does it do? It gets rid of one preseason game that's meaningless. It keeps the season the same length. It makes up for the money lost of a preseason game with an extra slate of meaningful games. I mean, there were nine games on sun- this Sunday at 10 a.m. Could you even possibly watch them all? Or maybe no, it was eight games. So it actually, next week it's nine games. But even eight games, you can't possibly watch them all. Next week, nine games, it doesn't even fit on the DirecTV 8 box. So what if there's seven games? I mean, you add a buy, a second buy. The revenue of an extra Sunday night game, Monday night game, Thursday night TV game, and a whole slate of Sunday games would more than make up for that one lost preseason game. It's better for health and safety. A bye week is a second chance to rest. Tyler Lockett, without the bye week for Seattle this past week, would not would have missed a game. And so to have a, a second bye week, I think is helpful. And uh, it's good for health. It increases revenue, as we talked about, and it solves a Thursday night issue. Heck, uh, you could even make a play for Wednesday night football if you did this. But the NFL proposal seems to go a lot further. They are saying a second bye week. This is what they're positioning for in the new CBA. So that part is the same. So it is a second bye week, but they actually want to increase to 17 games over 19 weeks. And as a a give back, they're willing to take away two preseason games. They'll probably add a scrimmage. But in any case, football would extend through February at this point in time, if that were to happen. And uh, what do you think about that proposal? And by the way, each team would still have eight home games. So eight at home, eight on the road, and the 17th game would be a neutral site game. Whether in London, whether in Mexico City, or whether in uh, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, or Notre Dame Stadium, or Yankee Stadium, or, or I don't know, places where there aren't NFL football, I suppose, and other places. Maybe a game back in San Diego, maybe a game in Oakland, since the, the Raiders are leaving, etc. Who knows? But what do you think about that plan, Greg? Well, being someone that's a fan of college basketball, it's something I'm pretty familiar with because with college basketball, we always see these games in weird places like you have a game on an aircraft carrier and things like that. I would actually be for it, especially if you get a truly neutral place because it's a little bit unfair when you get like the Buffalo Bills playing against the San Francisco 49ers in Toronto, Ontario. That's a little bit of an advantage for the Buffalo Bills. If we could get it slide, it's very equal to both teams. Yeah, I think it's a creative proposal. I mean, when I first was hearing about 17 games, I'm like, that's never going to get through. I think this one has a chance because they're taking away some preseason games as a bonus. They're given a second bye week. Players get a percentage of the revenue uh, of the TV contract. And with the extra game, it actually would be 19 weeks of NFL football instead of 17 weeks. So they're adding one actual extra week of games, 17 games instead of 16. But with the second bye week, it's another slate of TV games. So that actually is monetarily better than my proposal. I haven't heard them mention pairing it with a Thursday game, but if they did that, took away the preseason games, the one neutral site game continues to grow the game. I don't know that that's a bad proposal. The only difference is that there'd be, and this might be an upside, there's going to be football through uh, February, through most of February. I mean, it'd be great if they could get the season to end and the Super Bowl to be on President's Day weekend or something. Uh, that'd be pretty pretty cool. So I don't think that's a bad plan. I'm right there with you. I do think that what is really good is just being able to get one of those preseason games out of there because we're seeing it year after year after year. 
teams are utilizing more of these joint practices rather than preseason games. Get one of them out of there. You sort of split the middle because a lot of the owners want 18 games. More of the players don't want to put themselves in danger. You sort of get that happy medium. Yeah, and the, the, the current plan, I think Jason LaConfora is the one who wrote about it, takes away two preseason games but designates a scrimmage. So it's it's interesting. I'm sure the, the uh, Players Association will negotiate quite a bit on it, but I think there's a chance. And, uh, you know, uh, I got to hand it to the NFL. Shocker, they're smarter than I am. I mean, I was a little too simplistic on the two buys and, and keep it simple and uh, take away one preseason game. This plan, you know, expansion, international expansion, growth of the game adds two weeks of time goes a lot further than my plan. And, you know, it does add one regular season game, but uh, they'll talk about that. My plan would not have. It would have been better for safety. But I don't think it's a bad plan. And, uh, and kudos. Let's see if we can get this. They can get this worked out. Both sides benefit from, uh, from this plan. Anyways, uh, we're running a little long in this segment, so maybe we'll table the game time decision discussion. It's always a discussion. Every week there's a game time decision. But I'll leave you with this thought. Greg, if people are, if teams are saying this is a true game time decision, does that mean there are false game time decisions? That is a good question. By the way, your decision on being able to go into this or not was a game time decision. <laughs> this was a true game time decision because I, well, <laughs> I intended to uh, to do it, but uh, want to stay on a uh, time frame for, for people. And I'm quite sure it's a topic that will uh, come up again. All right, let's take a break so we can be on time and get to uh, our special guest, uh, Jeff Schwartz. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schaaf. All right, welcome back to segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast, our guest segment. Excited today to have on Jeff Schwartz. An all-around good guy, a media personality, ex-NFL player for a number of teams, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. I've always enjoyed talking to him, and quite honestly, this is the first time I get to turn the tables on you, uh, Jeff. Uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> glad, glad to be here. Yes, we're always interviewing you. Wasn't I like the first guy you ever like, one of the first guys you ever diagnosed on Twitter? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what you told me before? <laughs> Well, I don't know, diagnosed, but, but you know, uh, I mean, I, maybe I've been doing it, and uh, I think uh, you were one of the first guys to respond. And, and obviously, diagnosis is not really correct because I never examined you or your toe or the whole deal, right? Correct. Uh, yes. Perhaps it was injury impressions. I've been doing it. Yeah, I did tell you that you were one of the first guys to respond. And uh, the good news is, I'm, uh, you know, first I was like, I'm glad we interacted on Twitter because you might beat me up. But, <laughs> but tell me about that. Tell me about that, the circumstance from your perspective. Oh no! I mean, just you just don't see that very often, right? I mean, we you know, we often have people break down you know football highlights on you know football clips, but you know someone with with injury news like that, and to see like you know my toe, which you know they had told me and you know dislocated my, my big toe that it was the first time they had seen it in person in thirty years. You know, Russ Warren, the Giants team doctor, and um, you know just for you to be able to do that, you know from your you know from your screen, uh, your TV screen's pretty impressive. So I was just I was just impressed that that's the way. You're able to, to see that, and obviously. You know now, you know I follow you, and you're able to do that with a lot of different injuries. And and I think I think I've become more aware of injuries now. Maybe I've been also been very injured, but you know, watching like Oregon football the other night, and you know, guy breaks his forearm, and it's easy to see right away. And I'm like, oh, there's a broken. I feel like I'm more aware now of injuries. I think a lot of us are because of the, the things that you do on Twitter. Well, thank you, but you know, I kind of have an idea what the Mike Landbacker is now too. So <laughs> <laughs> it works out well, yeah. it works both ways, right? It, it goes, it goes, it goes both ways uh, a little bit. So, so the so the good thing is, I was actually correct about your your toe and your dislocated toe. Yes, uh, you were unfortunately. I mean, look, that that was a weird injury. I was, I just you know, they, when when they say they've never seen it before in person, like that's a weird thing to have happen. And that was the year two, by the way. I was the first. Um, starter in NFL history to be an IR twice in one year. It wasn't the first player. There was a, a backup like special teams guy. First NFL starter twice in one year. So I, have, I hold that distinct honor of being the most injured person in one season. So I'm glad I was able to uh, to put that on my on my career uh, uh, accomplishment well, list. Well, you, you, could, you could look at it the other way. The first player 
the glass half full side, the first player to come back twice. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I guess I could. I did start the following <laughs> season, so yeah, that, that's actually that's a good point. I was the first starter to ever come back from two injuries in the sort of the same year. <laughs> <That makes sense. laughs> what, what, what was the first one? What was the second one? Well, it was my toe. And then the second one was the fracture dislocated my ankle uh, by game and a half later. Oh yeah, um, oh, that yeah. was a that was a weird injury because I felt it like dislocate, and then I I was on the bottom of the pile. I thought to myself like it didn't hurt. I thought to myself like just don't be gross. I, I said that out loud. I was, like, just, I was like just don't be gross. And I looked down and I was my leg was straight. Like my ankle wasn't any weird. I've seen it before where the you know guy's leg is the other direction or whatever. And right. And I thought it was fine. I got up and, and tried to walk and I was not very fine. So. Uh, that was, yeah, that was, uh, that one hurt. I, I, I have a pretty high pain tolerance and I've had a bunch of surgeries and I don't really take a lot of pain medicine after them. And this one hurt though. This was, this, this hurt by day two or three. It was, it was pretty bad. So, uh, it's, it's a, tra- it's a traumatizing injury. I mean, it is what it is. No, I, I, absolutely. So did you get any or see any or hear any on Twitter or otherwise from fans? Oh, why did we sign that guy? He's injury prone. Well, how mad do you get yeah. when you hear that? <laughs> well, it's 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 more for the toe because you know, like you know, if you break your leg, it, you know, people understand a broken bone. Even when I did it again the following year, um, and it just was, you know, just I cracked uh, my 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 bone above the plate. I mean, you know, when you hear fracture, everyone understands what a fractured bone is. But when you say dislocating your toe, and you're like, what what what, is, what even is that? How do you tear? How do you do that? How do you tear your planter plate? I mean, that's hard to explain to people. Breaking a bone is pretty easy, uh, but the injury-prone stuff sucks because these are two injuries. I've never had a soft, t- a soft tissue injury in the NFL. Like, I've only had either like full surgeries, uh, you know, hip impingements, like stuff that needs to be fixed. That's really none of my own doing, right? Either genetics or someone falling on my leg, and it just sucks to have that tag. And it's true, I, I was injured a bunch in the NFL, but you know, it wasn't like my own doing, right? I was training, I was ready to play, I was in shape, and having some of these injuries happen. And it wasn't the same injury. It, was, it wasn't it was like a recurring hamstring that you didn't rehab uh, I, or a recurring I, I, groin yes. strain. Right. And so I, these are traumatic I, injuries. Right. Like yeah. I had, I had two hip impingements in the NFL. I had, then I, then I followed that up, you know, with, with the, uh, with the core surgery. So I had that, all that was in 13 months span. And then, you know, I do my ankle twice and I do my toe. It's just, it's just, yeah, just frustrating injuries. Well, if I remember correctly, you were trying to play through that big toe, and I was saying mm, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, so the, the Giants originally told me three to six weeks, which was just atrocious. I, look, I oh I, no, I, that's I, I, over. I get, how, I, I get how this works. I, I understand the, the game. I'm not naive to the way this is getting, this, the way this game works. Um, you know, but that was that was um, uh, the number I got from the second opinion, and I was like, uh, uh, okay, I can I like I can't even walk right now, and it took me. So it took me like eight, I was back practicing in eight weeks, I think it was. And then I took my three weeks to practice and I came back and I barely made it through the first game. Like I, I was, it was tough. Uh, we played the, it was the Odell catch game was the first game I was back. Um, I, I made it through the game and then the next week was rough. I didn't think I'd actually make it through the next week's game. Uh, my toe was, was killing me. Um, and then I broke my leg, so it didn't matter. Um, but actually my, my toe is fine. Like, I don't, I, you know, I get, I still have a, a lady that works on me uh, once or twice a week or once or twice a month. I got a, a chiropractor guy who helps me too. But my, my toe is fine. My ankle's pretty good. I feel good. Well, I mean, actually, it's pretty special. So you never got the toe surgery on the toe? No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have the turf toe like the the sesamoids didn't break or nothing. So I was no, yeah. I avoided surgery there. But I was like I said, I was out for quite a while rehabbing that back and like i said it, it feels fine now i mean i don't know if i've compensated somewhere else but i don't have an issue with my toe whatsoever well that's a, that's certainly good to hear but but you know the other thing is and you mentioned it with a toe people like oh well you, you stubbed your toe on the bedpost get in there right i mean they people don't think of that as a uh, you stub your toe on the t- on the table leg get back in there right but you know not to go uh, uh this will show you my genre and age and when I was in high school, but not to go stripes and Sergeant Holka on you, but the big toe, it, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's the main part. And over 50% of your push off comes through that big toe joint. And you don't realize that until you can't use your toe anymore. Like I, I, I would have, I have no idea that that's how important it was. And then when you can't use your toe anymore, you realize you know, really how important it was. And yeah, we, we had a whole contraption set up. We had a guy that, 
is like kind of like the, the the custom cleat guy for like orthotics. He came all the way in and he made me these custom orthotics and we kind of rigged my shoe up. He put a, a he made a Kevlar cap for my shoe. So we put that over my over my shoe to kind of protect my toe from being stepped on. We had this like elaborate tape job and it was it was pretty I still have the shoes that like we kind of we kind of just made work for those couple of weeks. It was pretty interesting. They're spray painted all black. It's, you know, we we, we made like we made it we tried to make it work uh best we could and it did, like I said, until I hurt myself again. And you know, I just you know, a lot of it's interesting. I, I got injured at the same time Alex Mack did, who plays for the, the Falcons. Same injury. Mine was a month later than his. Same surgery, different surgeons, but same surgery. And, and like, I just, I never bounced back and he did. I always think about that. Like, he just, you know, I worked just as hard as he did to get back. And I just never, I played the next year in 2015 and it was okay, but like, never, I just never got like the bounce back on my ankle. And then I broke my leg again. I was, you know, I couldn't move anymore after that. But it's just weird how the body works. I just couldn't. I just couldn't never. I just never got back to normal. Yeah. Well, and and that's the other thing too. I mean, I hear all the time. Oh, well, comparisons of injuries, whether it's Bo Jackson to Tua now, or yeah. <laughs> one ankle fracture to another, or one ACL to another. They're not all the same. I mean, what you're saying is, I got rear-ended at, in a car accident at, at 50 miles an hour, but the damage to the car is not the same. It's the same right. category. But it's not necessarily all the same. And, and you know, uh, you say, oh, uh, high ankle sprain. Oh, he's out six, eight weeks. Well, no, it depends on the severity of the high ankle sprain. It depends on the position you play. It depends on the type of player that you are. I mean, and sometimes, you know, on the offensive line, obviously, it depends on is it your plant leg or your kick leg, right? I mean, depending right. on – I mean, it's not all the same. You can't – that's why I get a, a, a kick out of people that say, oh, it's an MCL, so that's four weeks. That's well, not. It's way more complicated than than, uh, than like that. My brother, like my brother, just hurt his MCL last week, and I think he's playing tonight. It's like so, like I mean, this, and I think some people would be out for a couple of weeks. There's no, you hurt MCL, and everyone's like, "Well, he's out two to four weeks." So I'm like, I don't, I don't know if he's out two to four weeks. I don't know. We'll see how it feels, and feels okay. I think I don't, I don't know if he's playing tonight or yet or not yet. But like, I think <laughs> he's got a good, I think he's got a good chance to play. I mean, I, you know, he's uh, not on the, he's, yeah. he, he practiced. He practiced all week. He's not on the injury report, I don't think. So he, I don't think he missed practice this week. So, I mean, just like it's just different for everybody. Well, Jeff, don't, I mean, you've never been one to mince words. Don't walk it back. Let, let's break some news here. Your brother's no. playing tonight. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have actually, I, I'll be honest, I have not asked him this if he's playing or not. I just know based off of what the injury report has been said all week um, that he's practiced all week no all good actually uh we, we we put out the podcast after the game so it doesn't matter. okay there we go <laughs> I, so you can say anything you want here it's not getting out no, there, I, i'm being uh, serious i i've like i i purposely don't ask him like stuff like that because even like chiefs news because people will always attribute anything i say you know to the chiefs to him which is not true whatsoever so i asked him earlier in the week about his his knee he said it was better than he thought it was going to be and he pr- I don't think he missed practice this week. I looked at the injury report and didn't miss anything. So it sounds like, you know, that typically means someone's ready to play. We'll ask you a, a much more important question. Uh, you're the older brother. Who's the better player, you or, or baby brother? Oh, well, it's Mitch for sure. I mean, he's been all pro now three straight years. His first team all pro for the first time last year. He might even be better this year. I mean, he's done a – I think now, and obviously, you know, this now this comes out after the game tonight um, – you know, he has not allowed a sack this season. So that now I've cursed him and jinxed him. Um, and, uh, and he's playing really well. Uh, you know, he missed, you know, he now missed a snap for the first time. So he, you know, he ended a streak of almost 8,000 snaps in a row. It's a pretty remarkable to do that. Uh, he's really good. I mean, the, the way he plays and, you know, we've talked about football obviously many times and I've been in, we had this offensive line seminar and just listening to him talk about, the game, he is so cerebral with what he sees and how he pr- approaches the game, and he's always in the right position. I was more like a bull in the china shop, man. I just wanted to attack people. I didn't really have much of a plan like like he does, and so he's a real good football player. Well, also, you know, you can't group all offensive line positions as the same, right? I mean, so yeah, where you played, I mean, a little bit straight ahead is the way to go, right? And where he yes, is, he's got to be pretty cerebral. Yeah, right? and I think that you know now you know, and I and I, and I entered the league playing right tackle too, and we didn't we didn't see the type of rushers that he has to see now. I mean, we you know we to, when I came in the NFL in two thousand eight, it doesn't even feel like that, that long ago. You know, the, the defensive end, the lefty end, you put over the right tackle. 
tended to be a bigger guy because a lot of teams ran to the right and that was their they pulled the left guard and so that guy tended to be bigger stronger a little heavier uh but now that guy is you know joey bosa and it's uh there's like 11 guys who rush over there that, you know it's von miller and it's Khalil mack it's all the guys that we talk about they all go over the right tackle now that, that used to never be the case it used to be the left tackle got the the speed rush guy and the right tackle got the big the big powerful at the end and it's not that way anymore no question. It's all about speed now because it's quick releases and, and the whole deal. That's cool. You sound like a pretty proud older brother there. So Yes, uh, I'm very happy for Mitch. So when you talked about one title that you had in terms of coming back off of, you know, getting put on IR twice in the, in the year. How far were you from, from getting another big one, Mr. Irrelevant? Oh, yes. I was 12 picks away that year, I think, from being Mr. Irrelevant. So that was a and I had a I had a weird draft, so I, I was under no impression I was be I was going to be drafted high. Uh, this is 2008 now, and and I knew I was going to kind of pick you know round four to six about you know the draft comes in back then it was two days it was uh, rounds one and two and then the last five rounds, and so the first day there were ten offensive tackles taken. It was 2008, so I'm like sweet, mm. I'm I'm going pretty soon. So you know, I made the decision, which in hindsight is not very smart. I woke up early Sunday morning, this is on the West Coast, 6 a.m., and got in front of the TV to watch rounds three through seven. And my name doesn't get called in round three, four, five, now six. I'm starting to get some calls from teams. Nothing happens. Round seven, my agent's working on free agent deals, you know, to go as an undrafted free agent. And then the Panthers call me at pick 241. And by then, I'd already, I already, they'd already called me once about maybe picking me in the in the fifth round, and I just was over the whole day. I remember sitting on the couch, just like tired of it, and way over the whole day. And uh, they called me, and I think it's Brandon Bean now, who's the GM for the Bills, said to me, "Hey, are you um, excited to be drafted?" I said, "At this point, I don't really care." And then they told <laughs> me that, and then they told me I got drafted. So of course, I was really excited for that. But yeah, it was, I, uh, it was a. Interesting draft day. They they tell you not to watch the TV, and uh, you really shouldn't. But I, I was told a lot of you know the reason why I fell were I you know back surgery in college. But I, I played fine my senior year after that surgery, and then just um, I just I never bench pressed, and people were worried about my strength, which is kind of hilarious because that's like that's what I do well. Uh, that's interesting. So, two part question for you related to to that. Number one, if you're going to be drafted in the seventh round, would you rather be Mr. Irrelevant? <laughs> um, I don't know if any any Mr. Relevant has ever like made it in the NFL. I mean, uh, obviously it's a great it's a great title. I don't think you know. I think at that age I was a little shyer too. I don't know if I would have liked to like that have that spotlight on me. I think that like I think now now it'd be awesome, sweet. I just like you know play it up a little bit. Back then I don't know if I would have. I think I think you want to be like almost undrafted at that point because you can figure out where you want to play, right? You can go to where. Well, that's the, that's the second part of my question. Would you rather have been undrafted and pick chosen your spot by that time? Uh, the time you're drafted in the seventh round. Uh, you know, looking back on it, I was going to sign with the Giants. I think it was. We kind of had a deal worked out. Um, and I don't, I don't know. And I eventually was coached by the you know the Giants. I'm not sure that I would have fit in very well there at the time when I got there. Uh, you know, Carolina was was I think really good for me. I got to I got to be on practice squad for a year, and and I think that was really important. And you know, the guys I met there, and they're still really good buddies of mine and, and, and mentors. Like Jordan Gross was my mentor, uh, left tackle. You know, played like 13 years. And he was a great player. We he just was he just. He helped me learn how to play football, and the whole room did. Ryan Cleo, Travell Warren, Jeff Hangard, all those guys. Like, it, you have to learn how to do it as a pro. You think you have an idea. I think the importance for me, at least personally, of having those mentors and having those older players really help me out, teach me how to play the game, teach me how to study and and train and recover um, was so valuable. I don't know if I would have got that elsewhere. I feel like I now I've been in you know four different offensive meeting room since that time and it just never was the same as those guys i had fun but the camaraderie and you know the teaching and the helping of each other um i tried to do that where i went but just wasn't the same kind of collectively so i'm i'm happy i went where i where i ended up going um but i do think that a lot of times yeah you, you like to choose where you go obviously you want to go somewhere that you can play right away yeah I, you know i think that you bring up a great point and uh i think the limited practice time and the limited off-season stuff and the limited things end up hurting offensive linemen coming out of college because the game is so different in college versus the pros, right? And, you know, people think that 
you know, football, you're, you're a big, dumb football player and whatever. <laughs> I've covered a lot of different sports, Jeff. And let me tell you, there can be a, such a thing as is not smart enough. And I'll keep this positive. Not smart enough. <laughs> I won't say too dumb, but not smart enough to play football. I mean, you have to know your assignments. And literally, the, the quarterback is speaking Greek to you on every play to give you your protection assignment, right. you know, and, and you have to know it immediately. And if you don't do your job, you you can't be in the lineup. So literally it's a cerebral game in general for football. But the other thing is they put the, they put the smart guys on the O line, right? Cause it's actually more complex. Yeah. The, the, the D line well, sometimes yeah. you'll get the ball, right? Uh, yeah. I, I've seen it. Uh, you know, we have, most teams on Saturday nights, you know, they give you like a, a test from the coach just to kind of test your knowledge for the week. You draw a couple of plays, which is I've seen a defensive lineman's test before. Yes, they, they don't have to know as much as, as we do. I think what makes our position unique is obviously the teamwork between all five guys and the quarterback. But, you know, there's a real sense of pride because the quarterback is, is like, you know, we're, we're his protector. So if he gets hit, if he gets hurt, that's on us, right? And that's an, an added dimension of our game where no other position has it, right? Like defensive tackles and the ends there, you know, I know they have to protect the, you know, the linebackers and the offensive linemen, but that's not really a big deal. There's a, they, they get paid to sack the quarterback. They get paid for individual stats. You know, we get paid if we are good at protecting a quarterback and our running back. And so it's a, it's a unique position. And yes, we, we learn a lot about the defense. Um, you know, we, a, a good offensive linemen in the NFL uh, will learn linebacker positioning. We'll, we'll look at safeties. I mean, I'm in my stance. And people think I probably just stare at the, at the D-tackle. No, no, no. I'm looking at linebackers. I'm looking at safeties. Uh, very rarely do I ever look at a corner. Um, but there's a lot of things you can tell about the defense pre-snap. And I was not the most athletic guy. So it was really helpful for me to learn the structure of a defense. Okay, this on this play, oh, wait, the safety's here. Okay, my guy's going to move here. And I was able to get in position a lot quicker than just kind of guessing is I was really wasn't good at it. I couldn't play out there if I guessed where the defense was going. That is uh, definitely uh, interesting, but no question. Um, you know, look, I had a, I won't say who, obviously he's actually turned out to be a pretty good player, but uh, a big 10 D lineman once, you know, and rush ending. He's like, yeah, I, I got to get used to this NFL. Like at school, we just just told, go get the ball. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not that simple in the NFL. Yeah, uh, totally, uh, totally, t- totally different game. It, it is. I mean, and that's what makes it so fun. Is and you know, it's interesting. I wrote this an article this year about this on, on SB Nation. Um, is that there's so much difference between the college and pro game that people don't realize. Like they look at the, they look at the the fields and the ball and the general gameplay and the equipment and uniforms and things. It's a lot. Di- it's the same. It is very different, right? I mean, even even this weekend, I learned that the rules for field goals going over the goalpost are different in college in the NFL. Like if the ball goes directly over the goalpost in college, it's got to be like completely like inside the inside part of the goalpost where the other ways it's like just there's so many rules that are different. The game plays different. The speed is different. They're almost two different sports. It's really wild when you break it down exactly just how different college and the NFL are. Hmm. That's uh, that's that's very very interesting. So Jeff, every time I talk to you, you're in different spots. So you got SB Nation, you're on Fox Sports as a host, yes. you're on Sirius. You have, where are you all these days? Where are you spending all your time? And where, the next yeah. time you catch me, where are you going to be? <laughs> yeah, so I, I keep a schedule on my website, ShortsNFL.com. So that's a good place to go. But you know, Monday through Friday, I have my Pac-12 radio show on the Sirius Pac-12 channel. It's a Sirius XM 373. Um, I, I write for SB Nation four, four times a week. Um, typically, it's like a Monday, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, you, you mentioned Fox Sports Radio. You know, filling for Clay Travis. I work. I do ESPN Radio on Sunday mornings before all the games. Can't have a kickoff. Got my own podcast. Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. I do that twice a week. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, Tuesdays the free version on iTunes. Uh, Thursdays for athletic subscribers. So. Um, I'm I'm very busy. I like being busy. Busy is fun. It keeps me motivated. I stay obviously very connected to the game. I'm you know very opinionated on on a lot of things, especially on social media. You know, I just I don't I kind of go against the grain in a lot of stuff because I think that we don't look at the game situations uh, in the right way, and so I just I like to share my opinions. Well, absolutely. As I've told you, and we've gotten a chance to chat in person. Otherwise, I think what you do is great and awesome. It's uh, different than what everyone else does. Thank I think you. it's pretty cool. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, you. it's a lot of fun. 
Well, thank you so much for the time. Happy to, you know, uh, I'll invite myself onto your podcast or something else anytime as well. So yeah, feel free. <laughs> but thank you for spending the time here. And uh, thanks for letting me turn the tables. We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with the injury rundown of the week in part three of the Pro Football Talk Podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Doc. All right, welcome back to the Pro Football Doc Podcast, our third and final segment here. So let's do our rundown and then we'll uh, close out with some questions and uh, Beast of the Week. We've got a couple of good uh, candidates for the Beast of the Week. First off, quarterbacks. Lots of quarterback issues. Um, of course, we talked a little bit about Tua to start off with, but we'll leave him out of the picture. we got to cover three quarterbacks that were, quote, hurt on Sunday. Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, and uh, Jameis Winston. How would you order them in terms of the severity of injury, Greg? That is a good one. Mitchell Trubisky, I think it's so interesting because that happened so late in the Sunday night football game. We didn't hear too much about it until very, very early this morning. So I would put him towards the top, and then I would probably have Jameis Winston at number two. I would actually put Deshaun Watson as number one, Jameis Winston as number two. Hey, we agreed there. Yep, and Mitch Trubisky is number three. And uh, actually have – written an article about Mitch Trubisky and sort of analyzing his uh, status. Uh, It's on the Twitter timeline, and we'll cover it a little bit here. No secrets here. Um, Here's what I mean. Deshaun Watson, by video, had a right high ankle sprain. Mild, limped a little bit, played through. He's got to play Thursday. That's a quick turnaround. Just like Patrick Mahomes week one, who played through a left high ankle sprain, I think Deshaun Watson's going to play through. He may not be fully mobile, but we all always worry about high ankle sprains, and he's got a quick turnaround for Thursday. That is, I think, the worst or the one to keep a closer eye on. Jameis Winston limped profoundly after his left ankle, medial ankle sprain. And you might be most worried about him, but that injury usually quiets down more quickly. And going forward, he... Uh, has a better chance of doing well than, than the high ankle and a lower chance of re-aggravation, easier to tape. So I think Watson's going to play on Thursday versus the Colts. I think Jameis Winston's going to play. And I think the least injured is Mitch Trubisky, even though the other two finished the games and Trubisky got pulled. I am not in any way, shape, or form calling Matt Nagy or the Bears liars. Not at all. As a matter of fact... I pulled up two plays where Trubisky indeed likely injured or hurt his hip, and it could have affected his his play. But I am saying, Greg, that they're embellishing on the injury a little bit. I don't think he was hurt as badly as Watson or Winston, who both finished their games. Trubisky could have finished the final three minutes. I think there is some element of coaching decision. And a Trubisky that, or their entire offense, that arguably was struggling, now at 90%. Maybe it makes sense to sit him. I think his benching had something to do with his hip, but I think it's a little disingenuous to say it was all about the hip and he couldn't do it. In the Late in the first half, 39 seconds left. It's on my Twitter timeline, or you can go to profootballdoc.com and see some of the video. I go through it there. He, it's a prolonged scramble. He takes a false step. Then he goes down, and Michael Brockers knees him in the back of his right hip. And he knees him hard enough that Mr. Bisky, as he's hitting the ground, drops the football. Arguably could be scored a fumble that he self-recovers. And go look at that play. That was 39 seconds to go. So it makes sense that he wasn't seen in the medical tent, that he was checked out at halftime. And it makes sense that he wasn't examined in the medical tent or on the sidelines because there were 39 seconds left. He got examined inside. He got up pretty quickly. And it probably makes sense that he was able to continue to play. 
And then in the fourth quarter, with about 13 minutes left, he gets sacked by Aaron Donald. And the right back inside of his hip goes down on the ground. And he falls on his left hip, Aaron Donald does, falls on Trubisky's left hip. It's the play where Dante Fowler gets a concussion. 13 minutes and change left in the fourth quarter. And that could have made it worse. He played the next two series, Trubisky's did, and then got pulled after a conversation with with Matt Nagy. Now, is it truthful that he hurt his hip? Probably. Is it truthful that it got worse? Probably. Is it truthful that he was pulled solely for his hip? Mm, Probably not. I think... Watson and Winston were more ding than, than Trubisky was. I think Trubisky's hurt, but I don't think his hip is injured. That's the distinction. He's still medically cleared to play. Was he at 100%? No. But look, a 90% Deshaun Watson and you're playing him. But I get Matt Nagy's decision. A 90% Mitch Trubisky, maybe you play Chase Daniel at this point, especially with the offense struggling. So that kind of is the breakdown. And book it. There's no question there'll be talk about his hip. There's no question the Bears will back it up. They'll make him limited practice or hold him out a day and say it's his hip. But if Matt Nagy wants Trubisky to be the starter next Sunday against the Giants in Chicago, he will be the starter. Medically, he will be cleared to play. So let's see how that plays out. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just doing it off of video analysis in terms of uh, what I think is going on there. And finally, finally, let's talk about Matthew Stafford. The situation changed a little bit for Matthew Stafford. I've been saying all along, he's going to play, play quickly, book it guaranteed, play by Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving, not a big deal, transverse process fracture, he played through it last year, etc. I have to walk some of those comments back couple things happened. Number one, he didn't practice all last week at all. And that's not the right pattern for a typical transverse process fracture because he was limited practice the week before, before they found out about the fracture. Number two, I went back and looked and Bob Quinn stated that the doctors did not clear him the previous week. And if it were transverse process fractures, the doctors likely would have said it's a pain tolerance issue. Number three, uh, Matt Patricia apparently indicated upper back. Transverse process fractures don't happen typically in isolated fashion in the upper thoracic spine. They do in the lower lumbar spine, and it's a pain tolerance issue. Number four, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter, both reporting it's a six-week injury. A doctor said six weeks, they're quoting. A doctor that's involved in the care of Matthew Stafford said six weeks. All of those factors. And then finally, another one. Matt Stafford had a 136-game streak, quarterback starting, second only to Phillip Rivers. He's as tough as they come. If it was a traditional transverse process fracture, don't you think he would have played by now? I mean, Cam Newton played missing one week with transverse process fractures. Tony Romo did it. Derek Carr did it. Matthew Stafford would have done it too. And yet he missed a second week. And for all those reasons, I think that I still don't think it's dangerous. I don't think it's injured reserve worthy. Although as the season goes on, it might become that, especially if the Lions are out of it. And Matthew Stafford, as tough as they come, is probably trying to beat that six-week timeline. But it's no longer just transverse process fractures. So I think this Matthew Stafford injury is a bigger deal than I initially anticipated believing the reports of transverse process fractures. Anyways, that's the thought on Matthew Stafford. Let's move on to uh, running backs. In terms of running backs, the big running back question is Marlon Mack. When's he back? Will he make the fantasy playoffs? By video, it looked like he broke his hand, his metacarpal. That's now been confirmed and was going to need surgery. That's now been confirmed. He's not going to play this Thursday. It's too quick of a turnaround when the Colts play the Texans. 
Deshaun Watson will be there. Marlon Mack will not. And we'll get into the, why don't we touch on it now since we're talking about that Thursday game. Jacoby Brissett made it through his MCL fine, but he still doesn't have his top three wide receivers. T.Y. Hilton is likely not to play this Thursday with his calf. Devin Funches, with his clavicle fracture, is eligible to come off of injured reserve. He's the only one that might be okay to play. Paris Campbell's not playing with his broken hand that had surgery. He's got to catch the ball. Marlon Mack's not playing this Thursday because he'll be too sore. Could he play the following week? Yes. Will he have the same touches and opportunity as he normally does? Maybe not. First of all, he's got to be comfortable carrying the ball only in his left hand. And you can't just run to your left all the time. When you run to the right, ball security-wise, you want to carry the ball in your right hand. So he's got to be comfortable carrying the ball off-handed. And the team has to be comfortable with him in terms of ball security. Also, he's got to be able to, to do pass protection or just come out of games anytime they throw the ball, which would limit his reps. And don't know that he could be a serious receiver target. DeMarco Murray played in one week for the Cowboys a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, but he came out on all passing plays. Uh, he ran the ball well, but uh, was limited otherwise. And so Marlon Mack can come back well before the fantasy playoffs doing that. Greg, which week are the main fantasy playoffs? Week what? I think they start week 13, I'd like to say. It might be week 12, though. Week 13. Well, this next week is week 12. So week 13, I think he could be back. Week 14, higher chance. But, you know, playoff time is when he's going to get rid of the splint. So he'll play with the splint and uh, modify his game. So Marlon Mack can be back in play. The other big news, look at Todd Gurley. Uh, 25 touches, 25 carries, 97 yards, three passes, almost over 130 yards of production. He's back, right? Not really. He's the same. He always was effective. He just wasn't getting the touches. But why is he getting him now? Is his knee any better? Is his knee no longer arthritic? No. I think what's happened is they've protected him all season. And he could always have done this any game during the the season. Heck, he might do it again next week at this rate. But he can't do it for 16 games and stay effective. And so I think it was time for Sean McVay to push the button, push the Todd Gurley button. We're not doing well. We're not winning. We're not moving the ball. We need Todd Gurley. So the team got a heavy dose of Todd Gurley, and they got a victory over the Bears. Will they do it again next week? Maybe. Depends on how his knee feels. Even if they went back to previous Todd Gurley production numbers for the final six weeks of the season, that's better than having done it for the first 11 weeks of the season here. So we'll see how it goes. It's the same Todd Gurley. Who knows, scheme-wise, whether he'll get 25 touches this next week or he'll be back down to 15, 12 or 15. But health-wise, he's about the same. Devontae Friedman didn't play last week and is likely not going to play this week with his foot sprain. James Conner is a big uh, question mark with the re-aggravation of his AC joint from the uh, Thursday game. Usually after re-aggravations, you don't play the next week, but we'll see. He's got extra time. You know, if he's willing to take the injection or it is just the simple AC joint, he should be able to return to play. But we have to follow James Conner some more. Andy Janovich season is in jeopardy. Uh, He dislocated his elbow, fullback for the Broncos. Uh, He's out multiple weeks, and given the late timing of the season, might hit injured reserve. Moving on to wide receivers, we covered uh, the Colts wide receivers. Um, Another team that's banged up at wide receiver are the Bengals. A.J. Green, John Ross, and then uh, who's the other guy for them? I'm forgetting now. But uh, in any case, they're down, and, and they're down. Uh, they were down Alden, Alden Tate, who got stretchered off. He's okay. He left the hospital, flew home with the team. But that was a scary-looking one with his head and neck. A.J. Green's not close yet. He's multiple weeks still. John Ross could come off injured reserve with his SC joint injury. And were you thinking but, of but, Tyler Boyd? Thank you. Yes. Tyler Boyd's the other one that's been, he had a couple of catches and was back a little bit, but still not a hundred percent. That's another wide receiver group that was banged up. 
and uh, other wide receiver groups that are maybe banged up a little bit. Let's go on to the 49ers. Emmanuel Sanders, limited action with his ribs. Either he got the rib block and it's just a complicated area and the soft tissue cartilage of the ribs. He still had symptoms or he didn't get one and had symptoms. Julian Edelman played through pretty effectively his rib issues, but I think maybe his is one that was amenable to a block. That was from earlier this season. Emmanuel Sanders was limited. And don't expect him to be 100% next week either. And Debo Samuel went down with a right AC joint sprain. Actually, his was left. Let me take that back. Left AC joint sprain. Went to the locker room, uh, got the magic acupuncture injection, and uh, returned, made a big catch. And uh, he'll be limited this week in practice or out and likely play again next week with an injection. Mohamed Sanu left with a mile-high ankle sprain. I think it was his left ankle, had spouted and came back in. Amari Cooper was a little bit limited in his reps, but should be better next week. Sterling Shepard is back at some individual period of practice, but he's got a ways to go. Remember, he had a false start returning from his second concussion of the season. So I think this week against the Bears is still unlikely, but it's good that he's progressing through the concussion protocol. He's got to get back to full practice, likely for a few days and likely without symptoms. So, you know, week 13 might be the earliest for him. Tyler Lockett should be good to go for this next week. He was in the hospital uh, with that leg contusion, worry about compartment syndrome. The Seahawks had a bye. Without the bye, Tyler Lockett would have missed. But with the bye, I think there's still a good chance he plays next week. And Will Fuller coming off the hamstring. Bill O'Brien loves to play the gamesmanship. Don't know, don't know, game time decision. Look, he wasn't ready this Sunday. This is a short week Thursday. Is he really going to be ready? I think less likely and uh, I think they'll take the extra 10 days of rest on the back end to get him to get Will Fuller back. Tight ends, uh, Austin Hooper still won't be back next week, I don't think, although he'll get closer. And uh, Delaney Walker is said to be getting closer with his ankle. But interestingly, I saw him with a knee brace on in his locker interview on the left side. So not sure what that's all about. Some offensive line injuries, Lane Johnson with a concussion. Lael Collins of the Cowboys with a re-aggravation of his MCL spring. You heard it here. Mitchell Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz's brother, should be fine, although the Monday night game will have passed. So we pseudo-broke some news. Ty, I don't know how to say his name, Greg. I don't know. Ty right. Tackle for the Bills. Nasty-looking ankle injury, likely ankle fracture, dislocation, air cast, likely done for the season. Too bad for him. Defensively, Demarcus Lawrence, I think, had a stinger, passed a concussion check, returned to the game. And there's another defensive player we'll talk about later and beast of the week here. Any questions from the crew? I'm not seeing any. I think that you really went through it. The big ones were Tua Tagovailoa, and obviously we touched on that in depth in the first segment. Sounds good. So let's get on to the beast of the week here. A couple of things, a couple of honorable mentions. Marlon Mack broke his hand, I think, on a defender as he was warding off a defender, continued the run, ran the ball, got another 10 yards before coming out of the game. That's pretty nice on his part. Quentin Nelson would be the beast of the week winner, you know, with his, quote, fullback belly touchdown, William the Refrigerator Perry impersonation, and the keg stand celebration, which was awesome. But I can't give him the beast of the week because a couple of things. You got to deduct some points for all the help he needed to get up into the keg stand. I mean, could you at least jump up and give an attempt and then have the guys grab you? But the celebration was awesome. But you also can't give a beast of the week when the touchdown ended up being overturned. He didn't get the touchdown. So otherwise, that was kind of cool. So the beast of the week is going to go to Tack McKinley. He's had both, both shoulders operated on with label tears and shoulder dislocations. By video, he dislocated his left shoulder again yesterday. And I put it out there on Twitter timeline and profootballdoc.com. And I said, well, I don't think he's coming back in the game. It's really hard to come back in the game. And he can return next week or the week after. And 
he might need surgery again on his shoulder for a third time. You know, he's had both shoulders operated on. And sure enough, he returned to the game with a harness and splint and brace. And uh, so I got to give him the beast of the week for proving me wrong and playing through something that I didn't think he could. And special kudos to Tack McKinley. I don't know if you saw this, Greg. Uh, he actually came back and commented and liked the tweet that I said that he had returned to the game and that he was a beast for doing so, playing through undoubtedly an unstable shoulder and a labral tear, and he's played through it before. He actually liked the tweet. And what was interesting about that is I didn't even at him on the tweet. <laughs> so uh, somehow he found it on social media and liked it. I took that as confirmation that what we're saying is correct. But anyways, we'll give him the Beast of the Week. I mean, uh, he's... You know what, Doc, Joe, like, for that, I think you deserve Beast of the Week because you're growing and you're growing very quickly and rightfully so. Uh, well, whatever. I mean, I get it if I at the player, he might see it. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's got, you know, lots of followers and whatever, but but he liked it. But but that's why I thought it was funny, too. Like, we talked about it with Jeff Schwartz, right? We talked before, like, he commented to me on Twitter, which, which I find is interesting, which is a great thing about Twitter. But... Tack, not me, Tack McKinley is the beast of the week there. So that wraps up our podcast for this week. Thank you, Greg. Like us on Facebook or whatever you do there. And then um, we'll be back next week at profootballdoc.com for other things throughout the week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>